Mm-hmm. Welcome to Diary of an Exo. This is Sherry Hartman. I'm your exo, and today's guest is Corinna Lee Allen. So sit back, enjoy the podcast, and remember the old saying: "Always a bridesmaid when you're a hoe." Anyway, hi, it's good to see you. I hey. always, I never get to, you know, the Seattle people, I, I don't get to see them often enough. Yeah, I don't drive either. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I never know, like, there's a lot of rooms in Seattle. I don't know if I can get into them. You know, yeah. I really need to, like, investigate, like, because now that I'm re- going to be retired, I can go anywhere, any night, and it doesn't matter. I just need to know, can I go there? So Right, is this accessible is a big question. Uh-huh. Right. For sure. So, but anyways, I'll probably be seeing a little bit more of you. Um, that would be awesome. I would love to see you in Seattle. Uh, okay. So are your, uh, are your parents together? My father is deceased. He died the year I got married, which is like 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my mother is still alive. They were married until he passed. Okay. She was okay. his third wife. Okay. My father was a rock and roll drummer. So, well, first of I've all, I literally I'm... not met all my siblings face to face. Like, oh. All right. Well, I'm sorry for the loss of your dad. Um, but you you had him for a good long time. So, yes. I was just wondering, like, like the relationship between your parents. Did you see, like, uh, were they physical with each other at all? Or did you, were they loving, you know, physically and? They were affectionate, but my mom is probably one of the most uh, modest people I've ever known. She's very, very, um, and I that probably had an impact on me, but she just does not like sex, doesn't like talking about it. Um, like when I was a kid, we were one of the first families on the block to have a VCR because that's how old I am. Right. And when mom would record movies off of HBO, she would delete all of the anything that was more explicit than kissing. She would delete oh. it. So all of her movies were like her edits. Um, right. Her favorite romances were like those Victorian Regency things where the most that ever happens is some, you know, kissing and, and heavy petting. Right. Uh, so no, she just no. was she reli- is she religious or just Yeah, yeah, super okay. super okay. religious. And like what so kind it's of definitely... what kind of religion? Um well it's kind of funny cuz she was raised Catholic. Um but my parents were both really big evangelicals. They were okay. um they were part of a lot of the the stuff that um, you see happening today that's kind of like wild and crazy. Uh, that all sort of started, uh, you know, in the late 70s when satellite television became a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a television network that la- launched called PTL. It was Jim and Tammy oh. Faye Baker's network. Oh, so yeah. they worked for them for like four years. Oh, really? Yeah. Like technically that's my first TV credit is the PTL club with Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, which is oh. a wild thing. To put on a festival application, <laughs> you'll okay, get weird so, emails. So my, my so my parents, 
uh, same background. We, uh, so we basically come from that same religious background. So right, if you say right. anything, I will understand the lingo, but we don't need to talk about, you know, I don't know. Okay. How do you think that growing up like that affected you? Oh, I do think it had a huge impact on my sexuality. You know, I'm bisexual. And so it was really, really hard for a long time for me to understand that part of myself mm -hmm. because of what I had been taught in that environment and how that environment treats queer people. Right. So um, you internalize a lot of really, really bad ideas, a lot of really broken uh, stuff that really stems from patriarchy and is, oftentimes isn't really even necessarily what the message might have been in some of those scriptures you know what I mean it right, seems like right. it gets cherry-picked and twisted to be like dudes are supposed to be in charge of you your whole life if you're a girl and you can only be like this if you're a girl you know yeah uh, it seems about control <laughs> uh -huh. so it really had a big impact on me and it took me a long time to unwind it honestly you know uh it, it was definitely uh, stuff I still talk about in therapy, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's very, very permanent impact for me. Right. I understand that. Uh, what can you tell me about, and you can uh, take this question however you want it. Like, can you think of like, uh, like your first sexual awakening, like when you first realized there's something going on in this world that I previously wasn't aware of anything that you could tell me along those lines? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I noticed as a child that there was this whole subject that was sort of off limits. I would ask questions and I would be redirected, if mm -hmm. that makes any sense. Right. And so uh, there was a point at which I became aware that I was being redirected and led away from answers that I was looking for. And... Uh, I've always been a nosy little fucker. Like <laughs> I've always been a nulf, a nosy little fucker. Like I've always wanted to know shit. Um, and so it became like, like a game to try to figure out how to get around my parents who were sort of standing in the way of me knowing stuff. That was how it felt. Um, they were very honest with me about sex itself. The act of procreation. Right. You know, no one told me I came from a stork or any of that. <laughs> right. Um, but I do like, I remember being in uh, the first grade and all of my friends and all our classmates, a little knot of us, you know, decided we were all going to do this thing where we went home and we asked our parents where babies came from. We were like six, right? Uh -huh. And then everyone came back to school the next day and told the story of whatever their parents told them. Right. Uh, <laughs> So we were like basically pulling the delegation to find out what's going on here, you know, <laughs> at six. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents told me the truth. And I ended up making it weird <laughs> because when I went back to school, I told the other kids what my parents told me, which was basically like, you know, when a man and a woman love each other very much, they take off all their clothes and mash their private parts together. And nine months later, there's a baby. And you shouldn't do mm -hmm. it until you're married, you know. Uh, and so like the school called my parents oh. because I had talked about naked, <laughs> you know, they were freaking out over that. 
So like they told me the truth, but their version of it, you know? Right, right. You know, I, like, I, rem- I remember being at a, a slumber party and I think we were like, <laughs> maybe we were more like nine, you know? And we were, uh, one girl knew like the whole story and the rest of us only were still piecing things together. And I remember her saying, the scientific word for it is sex. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But it was kind of funny because at six, you know, we, we all sort of shared these stories of what our parents said. You know, some people came from a stork and some parents, you know, had their pea patch, I guess. They were under a leaf in a pea patch oh. or whatever. Um, but at the time, because all the other kids had told ridiculous stories. I just assumed I had also been told a ridiculous story. But um, I noticed how animals procreated, right? Um, And then uh, we moved to a town that was so small when I was a kid. Uh, We moved all over, but this one specific place, I was so bored, I ended up reading the whole encyclopedia. Okay. (laughs) the entire fucking thing there was no other books to read at the library i had read them all because this town was so small its library was like a couple of hundred bucks <laughs> um so i remember when i got to the letter r for reproduction going oh christ we do it just like dogs and cats this is gross <laughs> and i don't want to fucking do that uh you know, I was definitely uh-huh. into my my animals as a kid anyways. I preferred my pets to humans. And so uh, I already understood the animal world that way. Right. So when I found out that we did it like dogs and cats, I was just, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. You know, I was mad about it. Uh, did you have any uh, celebrity crushes when you were younger? Not really. Um I was assigned a celebrity crush at 13. So I have a story about that. Um, But I did not develop any of my own. That's one of the things that I learned later in life is connected to my demisexuality, which is I got to know someone to feel physically attracted to them. Mm -hmm. I don't got to know I'm like my best friend. Mm-hmm. But if they're just a stranger on a billboard or like Magic Mike or whatever, like, I don't know that guy, you know? So to me, it's like, I can see that that's an attractive person. And right. if I talked to them and they were cool, I'd probably be attracted to them, but I don't feel it until I make any oh. connection. Okay. So, so you said demisexuality. So what do you mean by that? Well, what that generally means is that you don't feel sexual attraction to people that you don't have some connection with and that stranger sex is probably not your thing. You know, I've tried it. <laughs> I was just going to ask, have you, have you done stranger sex then? Yeah, yeah, I've done. I, I definitely tried to. I saw myself as abnormal for some uh-huh. of my sexual uh, proclivities which is not unusual for a queer person. And so I tried to self-medicate by having a lot of really bad sex with men that I did not know. Uh, Mm. uh, Literally tried to fuck the queer way and it did not work. Uh, Here I am in my 50s going, I don't care if Channing Tatum has a washboard abs. If he's a jerk, I'm not going to want to fuck him. Right. And I don't know that until I know him. (laughs) 
you know? Well, then, okay, so then if you had sex with a stranger, then you knew him after that. No. Or no, you didn't know him after that. No, no, no. No, that no. didn't count. I gotcha. Yeah, I was very fond of tag and release, as I referred to it. <laughs> uh, sometimes also referred to as community service, which is, you know, I don't have room. I don't have spoons for any relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there was Tinder before there was Tinder, man. You know, it was called going to the fucking bar. Uh, right. And I just didn't go to the same bar more than once, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, I did that for a really long time. Just uh, really firmly convinced, uh, mostly by advice I'd given, been given by other women, straight women, uh, that if I just had sex with men enough, my feelings about it would change kind of a fake it till you make it strategy. Mm. And then I decided this is serving everyone, but me. Uh, so I'm going to not do that no more. Um, but I mean, that was the process. Okay. All right. So um, tell me about when you decided that you were going to pursue sex with women and what the mind how that mind change came about well i knew that i'd been attracted to various women over the years but not very frequently and i think that's another function of the demisexuality right right? like i don't have enough of a personal connection to feel an urge to act Mm -hmm. um I did date a couple of women when I finally decided I just wasn't gonna try to not be attracted to women anymore. I just gave up. Right. Um, But it just didn't work out. And I think that a lot of that was on me. You know, uh, my time in the church and in, you know, the evangelical world that I grew up in, I internalized a lot of really fucked up homophobic shit. And during my second relationship with a woman, it wasn't very long. I just realized like, I'm not in a position to be doing this. I'm not mentally recovered from the trauma that I experienced as a child. I don't want to like, I don't want to hurt someone else. I don't want to vomit up these bad ideas to another woman, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just started going to therapy and not dating at all. Uh, and then I accidentally fell in love with a dude Uh, (laughs) it's an accident sorry Um, he's a saint though just to be clear Uh, but it just uh, I the desire was there but I realized early enough like I wasn't mentally healthy enough Mm -hmm. to to engage in uh, like a serious relationship with another queer woman like I was too messed up I needed to keep going you know start at that point I needed to start therapy and then keep going for a number of years and be right. and then figure it out as you go right uh, yeah, instead that- of saying all these fucked up things that I had internalized to another person you're basically just spreading the trauma around at that point you know mm-hmm. so I took myself off the shelf entirely well, that's actually a very um, mature thing to do. Yeah. yeah, that's weird for me. Every now and then, I, <laughs> every now and then, I go, "God damn, I'm being real messy. Let me see, can I fix yeah. it?" 
I think I just like stumbled through my life in a sexual frenzy and then finally just like got to 49 and went, oh, I gave up. I give up. I give up. I met somebody that was cool. Like I just fucking give up, you know, and that, that, that's not a very mature way to, but that's how I did it, you know? So listening to you, I'm like, common. I think so probably too, but yeah. You know? Like, I definitely spent, you know, I do that joke about how I tried to fill my vagina with red flags in my 30s, but that's really what I was doing was I was, you know, my 30s were, that whole period was, you know, a lot of one night stands with strange men to try to not feel the way I felt because the world that I lived in, it wasn't safe to feel the way that I felt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's hard to explain to people who aren't from an evangelical background how for a woman it's just not safe Mm -hmm. as an adult woman to not be some man's property Mm -hmm. so you're just choosing between bad choices because being someone else's property is a shitty choice it's not something that you want to make but if you don't acquire a male protector of some kind then you're open to all kinds of abuse that you just there's nothing you can do about it so that's a super hard environment in which to engage in a relationship with another woman if you're both living in that world all right you know for sure all right so what what would be your definition of amazing sex oh that's a fair question um for me it's usually like the best sex I've ever had has definitely been with my husband I'm not just saying that because I'm married to him like I stayed for a reason um and it's just really like this intimate connection and so a lot of times uh for us you know it's kind of a whole like we go out to dinner it's a date night it's and we we have date night every week and have for our whole relationship until COVID, we went out every Friday night. No matter what. I think what that's a really solid idea for couples to do. I think it's one of the reasons that my marriage has been successful is that I prioritize that. Like if I have a show on a Friday night, and I know you deal with this too, Hannah comes to my shows. We get, you know, we do the show and then we leave and we have our dates, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I'm really lucky that I have this person that I'm with. That's really supportive. That'll do that kind of stuff for me. And it definitely, let me be clear. That's sexy as hell going to my show and supporting me and recording my show. And then we go out to dinner and we have a nice, that's sexy as hell. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, supportive, caring men and women are hot. Right. So, (laughs) For me, that's definitely a big part of it. Like the knowledge that I'm with somebody that I'm actually, that cares for me and loves me for who I am. And there's that, that, that feeling of somebody that's got your back. Right. You know, that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. You know, uh, I know a lot of people joke about married sex being boring or, you know, subpar in some fashion. And I just don't agree as somebody who like, again, spent like the better part of a decade having sex with all these different people, mm-hmm. um, my sex life is so much better now. 
And it's because I'm in love with the person I'm married to. And I know that it's not some, you know, transient state. Right. I, I can't imagine what it's like for young women now. I'm super glad that there was not the ability to surreptitiously, uh, you know, like the, the, the thing with pictures and videos that would have made me not do a lot of experimenting right uh-huh for sure yeah I feel bad for these girls that are like 20 years old that you know are just doing what 20 year, year olds are supposed to do when you're 20 you're supposed to be out fucking right like your body is telling you to do that you should uh-huh. listen go do that but like um you know a lot of them are running into like the revenge porn and type situations where their images are disseminated across the internet without their permission. And it's so easy to do that now. Like you could have done it back in the day when I was whoring around too, but the equipment would have been larger and more obvious. You know what I'm saying? Like the cameras weren't so small. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, I'm grateful. I don't have that worry either. I think that leads to, to, um, better sex. Also the idea that it's not being commodified somehow. (laughs) Can we have some sector of my life that there isn't a price tag on? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So this makes me curious because, uh, of that and because of your other thing you were telling me about. So do you have interest in porn? I don't. Uh, that was one of the, again, there's certain, things that once I understood the whole picture I was like oh I am demisexual I'd read the term before and kind of went huh I wonder oh that's what it is like I'm not afraid to ever hand someone my phone right to search for something on the internet because they won't find any porn if they think or pictures Uh it just wasn't ever sexy to me I did it when I was younger uh, but it never stuck. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm going to check this out and see what it's all about, but you know what? Like, yeah. There's some things that are real popular that I don't like, and uh, porn's one of them. I would, if I'm going to do something like that, I genuinely would rather read erotica than look at pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's I've got a better editor up here. <laughs> yeah, you're the third person that has said something similar to that so that's interesting um i just think it's the male eye that curates hmm. a lot of porn and so it's i think it's not appealing to me for that reason i've never tried like i know there's porn you can get that women made it um and that might i i just have never bothered you know right yeah i've always thought the same thing like i mean uh, do i use porn like when i really need to just be in a hurry sure but right um the attitudes of how women are treated in porn in general i just i can't I just yeah don't, it's not very sexy i don't not enjoy to me. it yeah like having described what i think is sexy porn is like most of it is kind of the opposite you know mm-hmm. now tambers told me about some like i said there's good porn that's made by women if you want you know that right. but having like sort of tried before and not tried at all in years like I don't remember the last time Mm -hmm. I searched for something because 
I would rather improv improvise with the person that I'm with. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, well, if you don't need it, you don't need it. Uh, and I have a vibrator if, you know, he's out right. of town or something <laughs> like I yeah, keep heard, my vibrator. I've heard what you, heard what you do to vibrators though, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I actually keep my vibrator rolled up in a pussy hat you know those pink pussy hats uh-huh <laughs> it's like the perfect vibrator cozy i swear <laughs> to god <laughs> it's the perfect thing to keep your vibrator in um how's your body image uh i I'm kind of at this stage in my life where my body's doing that like menopause thing and thickening in the middle. Um, and I have a lot of health issues that uh, affect the way my body looks and functions. So there's definitely uh, a lot of times where I have to fight the urge to like hate my body, right? it's not doing what I want it to do <laughs> you know uh I'm 53 so uh you know there are all of these extra duties that I have mm -hmm. to give it now um yeah. but it's really important for for all of us to remember that your body is supposed to be a tool for your own joy right mm -hmm. like that's your earth suit <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that's the meat sack you were incarnated into. And, and until science changes it, that's the one that you die in. So you still, even if it's not what you would have picked, right? Like, oh, I wish I'd been born one of these people who never gains a pound and they're perfectly healthy and athletic and stuff. Uh, you weren't, though. <laughs> At least I wasn't, right? Right, right. So love the, the, the one you're with, man. Uh, but I, that it is a struggle for me and it always has been. Yeah. So I, you know, I realized that I was only asking women that question. And so mm. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to say this every time because if I, next time I interview a man and I don't ask them that question, I want people to <laughs> blast me because right. I'm going to come get the internet. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, that, that's just not right that I do that. So. Do you have anything on your sexual bucket list or have you done everything? Uh, when I was young, uh, I made a list in my day timer. That is how old I am uh, <laughs> of stuff I was going to do sexually. Cause you know, for me, it was a whole new world. Right. Uh, so um, I think that I have checked all of those boxes. I think there might be one or two really weird ideas that I had as a young person that I haven't done yet, like have sex in a hot air balloon. Uh, that I don't know if that's still appealing to me, you know? Uh, right. Uh, but I really feel like I definitely checked all of the boxes that I needed to check to understand myself, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the real struggle of exploring your sexuality is figuring out who the fuck you are sexually. Right. And then figuring out how that connects the rest of your life, you know? And so like when you have that comfort, then that's, 
that knowledge is the power you know that's what drives for me that's what drives good sex is you know i know what i'm doing i did all of these other things (laughs) i know what i like and i don't like so well and and that that and then that plus that just makes it so uh yeah okay there's this comedian oh my god back in the maybe like early 80s oh who is it uh female comedian and she does this thing about how sex when you're married is like a well-rehearsed mambo do you know this joke it's no like, i don't it's like you do this to me one two and i do this to you three four and it's like <laughs> i love that joke so it's kind of a That's great. once you have all that exploration under your belt it's kind of a time saver in a way so then you can just do what you like and you're comfortable with and not that you never experiment after that but oh, a lot for of that sure. stuff yeah been there done that i'm done you know? right we've had we got out the fruit roll-ups and the pop rocks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did all that shit you know uh-huh. right um, and i mean like look when i was younger i had a lot more like really uh directly sexual material as a comic like when i first started doing stand-up comedy at 28 my like first i don't know signature bit right was Mm -hmm. this thing i used to do the 10 rules of sex and it was because i was constantly you know mixing and mingling and being propositioned and people were uh asking me to do stuff that i was off the fucking top not doing right mm-hmm. and it's super funny that later in life i did try some of them and i was right i don't like them. like what but like not like i didn't like anal oh. <laughs> and all of my friends that experimented with that sooner or later they found some way that it was really enjoyable for them and i think that for me having been pregnant with twins and having all of the side effects of pregnancy visited upon my body I just I don't it, think yeah. that's ever going to work for me, man, you know? Uh, but like, uh, you know, some things that I was asked for, I know I'm not into, and I know they're like a kink, like messy food play. Mm-mm, I don't like it. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I tried it. I don't like it. it. No one's putting mustard on me, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not for me. I don't, I don't think the smell of vinegar is sexy. Okay. It just is not for me. So um it's funny how things change over the years though you know like you say you're not gonna try it and then you do some of it i did try and i was like well that's not so terrible (laughs) so all right well we're we're getting close to the end of our time do you have any stories that you want to like uh share or any topic that you want to approach before we go um i don't think there's anything in particular that i i mean this is like your thing and so i really like that you're the one that's sort of directing the questions Mm -hmm. rather than me sitting here just like trying to remember this story or that one okay um so you uh, mentioned a couple things in the beginning of our talk yeah um so if you want to uh, know about um, like fertility issues, like uh, I did become an ovarian egg donor uh-huh. uh, at uh, 25, which is probably why I have twins. 
small sins are punished immediately. Oh, uh, yeah. How do they do that? So they, you're an egg donor. So do they give you fertility drugs to up your egg? Oh, yeah. You know, normally in a menstrual cycle, a woman's ovaries, one of the two of them will ovulate. So you'll create one ovum per menstruation, typically. And then in an ovarian egg donation cycle, you'll come, you'll, you'll create about 30 and it'll be about 15 per ovary. And that is because you are taking hella drugs every day by injection. Um, Do they, are they like, uh, make you feel hormonal kind of drugs? Uh, yeah, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I, the first thing they have to do is they have to get you on the same menstrual cycle as the recipient, right? So if you're making an ovum, they're going to, they're going to inseminate it in a Petri dish and insert it into a woman and her body has to be ready to get pregnant. So what they do is they take both women and they start giving a drug at the time uh, they were using this drug Lupron. And what that does is it drops all of the estrogen out of your system. So they get everyone down to the low level, the lowest level possible. And then they rise them at the same time. Uh, right so that you're at the same point in your cycles um and so that process <laughs> gave me a lot of respect for men actually because when you take the estrogen out of a meat sack right <laughs> and the only thing that's left is testosterone jesus christ i wanted to punch everything i was so fucking cranky uh, like i just stayed home for that week right because I would have been, I, like, I, I was miserable. And then they start bringing your estrogen levels back up. And then when you get to the top end of that, you get similar effects to, like, PMS. Right. Right. Um, and then there's another drug that they give you. Uh, the one that they gave me was called Metrodin. And that's the drug that makes your ovaries go, fuck yeah, let's fucking go and make hella eggs. Uh, the whole process takes about three or four weeks by my recollection it's been a while mm. and um they uh take about 30 eggs it's one of those like laparoscopic procedures and uh, uh it paid for uh my college tuition for two semesters every time i did it wow so, um and there was demand specifically for one person it was for three different people Right. Only one of them was able to conceive because uh -huh. they've got other challenges often aside from just perhaps not producing viable ovum. Right. Right. So for a number of reasons, the pregnancies won't take, they won't uh, implant in the uterine wall. Right. Um, but I know that there was one successful pregnancy as a result of my donation. So they tell you that like, oh, they were able to get pregnant or. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the extent of it. Right. right. You know, I mean, I know that people would probably be worried like, oh, you know, you're going to come try to take my kid because genetics. And I'm like, mm, nah, you did the pregnancy. That's the hard part, man. Mm -hmm. Right. For real. That's the, that's your fucking baby, ma'am. Right. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> like, uh damn. I never but, that's that like, but the, you're giving up 
your body for a month like you you can't have sex or anything like that during that time can you You can but girl are you fucking rolling the dice like one busted condom and you are octo mom okay (laughs) fuck that i don't i don't have enough titties for that shit (laughs) i only got two man so um yeah you're definitely rolling the dice if you have sex you're definitely um you're making a sacrifice for someone else you're compensated for it you're given some cash it's not a ton i was given three thousand dollars cash for being an egg donor but um for me the money was great and i put it to something that i needed but the reason i decided to do it was because my best friend from high school uh had suffered from infertility and i saw the the pain that she went through and how hard it was for her and she was finally able to have children through IVF and Mm -hmm. so that really kind of pushed me to like I didn't know if I wanted to raise children but I knew I was willing to help another woman Mm -hmm. who needed help who that was just all she'd ever wanted to be was a mom this friend that was the thing with her like all she'd ever wanted to be was a mom that was her primary ambition in life mm-hmm. and if I could help another woman then I, a month didn't seem like too bad especially if I was being compensated for my time I mean I was paid three thousand dollars to do it and I thought that was a reasonable fee for what I was being asked for mm-hmm. you know? now, how long after that did you have your own kids two years my ovaries basically just decided they really liked ovulating yes <laughs> uh, and so instead of firing on one side, I fire on both sides. Mm. So I have been double ovulating since I cycled oh. for donation. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, small sins are punished immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm glad those pregnancy days are over. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> a lot I'm to done. ask of a person, you know. Ooh. I mean, honest to God, you know, uh surrogate pregnancy. Uh I think that's about thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars last time I checked. I don't know i don't think i could i don't think i don't think thirty thousand dollars is enough money for me mm. certainly not these days uh the, that hotel is closed down it's just cobwebs right. now, you know yeah um but uh i think that the egg donation was so much less of a lift than being pregnant mm-hmm. you know although at the time i i didn't have any idea how hard pregnancy was you know i had not been pregnant ever when I was right. a very new donor. So I really didn't know. Uh-huh. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> one and done for me. Thank you. Well, uh, it was two in one. Yeah. For you. Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, like, no. double, did double duty. Right? Like, look, I gave it the office. I don't know what more the human race wants from me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Yeah. All right. So where can people like, do you have an Instagram that you use? Yes. Where people follow, can follow me you? on Instagram. I will 
pull up a little thing here. Watch this. I'm I'm so technological now. I feel fancy as oh. fuck for an old lady. I got the little scan code. Uh huh. See if I can do this. There it is. A little uh, bit over. There you go. Oh, that's the one. I'll send it to you in Messenger. I am Corinna Lee Allen on the Instagrams. And that is okay. where I genuinely prefer to communicate, trying to consolidate everything to my Instagram. So okay. it's just my stage name on Instagram. Okay. And I'll send you a, a like, a, if there's a, I don't know how to do the share an image in Zoom. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we're going to be, we'll be all over the place with we'll this. We'll fix so. it in post. <laughs> Well, Tell your great. editor I owe them a latte. <laughs> it has been great uh, talking to you. Yes, it's, it's been great talking to you too. I miss you. I need to get down to Tacoma more often and hang out with you well, guys. Next, um, next month, right? I've What's got you month? in in July. I you do? Oh shit! You're at Odd Otter. What am I doing? I'm at Odd Otter in July. You oh, are. Boy. Okay. What date? What am I looking I at? I don't know. Oh, I shit. Know. It's the last Monday. The last Monday. Okay. Yeah. July 31st. Okay. I Wait, will put that be, in. It might be the 24th. Okay. I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll block you, both of them off. There. I got you oh. and I got Kate. Oh, Kate. I That'll love her. Fun. I just saw her last night at 9.07. We went to 9.07 last night. Uh, and Kate was there. I thought about going and I didn't, but we would love to see you at 907 again. If you're going to 907, you have to text me and tell me you're going to be there because I'll make Felicia go. Okay. Felicia lives right down the street from me now. Oh, cool. Yeah. So if you're going to be at 907, you, you got to tell me because I'll drag the crew down so we can hang. All right. Well, do. All well, right. And I'll see you at Odd Otter. This yeah, okay. All right. Bye-bye. I love you. Bye, honey. Bye-bye.